Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to the latest edition of the Troy Stories Podcast. Before we begin our show, I want to make a quick public service announcement. The URL for my USC site at Sports Illustrated is now official. Very exciting, right? It is si.com slash college slash USC. So be sure to bookmark that, sign up so that you can communicate with me directly on the site. We even have an app. Just search for Maven News in your app store and then log in with your credentials to the USC site. And then every time you open the app, you'll be at my homepage. I'm still covering USC full time like I've always been. The only difference now is there's no paywall. So you don't need to pay a dollar to follow your favorite team. It's a beautiful thing. And with that, let's get into this week's episode of the Troy Stories Podcast. Welcome back to Troy Stories with Adam Maya. And I am Adam Maya. And uh, I got a very special guest with me today, Eric McKinney of WeRSC.com. Mr. McKinney's been covering USC just as long as I have, basically, 2004. That means you're kind of old. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> feels old. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, Eric, uh, you got, you're probably familiar with him already, but uh, covered the conference, covered USC, covered recruiting, and uh, and now publishing WeRSC.com, took over for Gary Paskowitz, and does an outstanding job, so be sure to check out his work there. And I've been looking forward to talking to him about this, the football team. We talk about it basically every day at practice, at games, but now we're going to do it uh, on record. So let's see how real we keep it, because we usually do when we're off air. Uh, I figured we'd talk a little bit about Washington. Uh, I think there's still some leftover thoughts that are worth exploring there. And But I really want to get into Clay Helkin and where things are at with him right now. It's just a weird time, obviously. And then uh, this football team moving forward, because there's still more than half a season left. And this is a team that I think can go in a number of directions. So we'll get into that as well. But let's begin with Washington. Uh, what's your takeaway from this game? Because I feel like it's kind of polarizing and, and people are pointing fingers in all types of directions. Where do you stand with what happened in, in Seattle? So, so my take on this is sort of there's almost like two narratives going on with the team right now and if you just look at stuff in kind of 60 minute increments which seems to be absolutely what clay helton wants to do he he wants to look at each game individually this is a game where you take your third string quarterback up to seattle and you're playing a very good quarterback on the other side without two of your what top five defensive players certainly your two best defensive backs yeah that's not a recipe to, to win a game there, there's no other team in the Pac-12, probably very few teams in the country that go up under those circumstances and go beat Washington. So the fact that they kept it close and felt like they were in the game the whole time, I think sort of speaks well to how this team was prepared and how they played and, and how they stuck with, you know, maybe Washington is the best team in, in the Pac-12. The problem is USC fans don't want to do that, right? You you don't want to look at this in just a, a one-game increment. It has to be seen as part of a whole, part of this season, part of last season, part of the entire kind of Clay Helton tenure. Yeah. And in that circumstance, there's penalties, there's turnovers, there's the same sort of stuff that kind of keeps rearing its head. 
and keeping this team from being where certainly Clay Helton wants it to be and absolutely where USC fans want it to be. But if we're just talking about that Washington game, I I thought there were parts, I I think Clay Helton's right. I, I think there were a handful of plays that turned the game. And I think there are parts of it where you like what you saw. I think they ran the ball well when they ran the ball. And I think defensively, you you did absolutely enough yeah. against a good offense to, to win that game. Yeah. In a weird way, despite the loss, it made me believe in them a little bit more than I did. Because I thought they were going to get blown out. And if you watch that game, that was not an instance in which it was not competitive. And despite the quarterback play, which I, I thought... It submarine their chances. I don't. I don't know many teams and coaches that could win with their quarterback playing like that, right? And at, at any level, whether NFL, college, whatever, it would. It would be rare to to win when your quarterback is playing like that. And I even make a comparison, which people weren't going to like. I know that no one wants to hear anything in defense of Clay Hilton, but just a decade ago in Seattle with the second-string quarterback. Mm-hmm. Pete Carroll lost that game, not to Chris Peterson, but to Sark. And in, the circumstances were not that different. And in fact, Corp didn't play as bad as Fink did. He didn't play well at all, but he did not play as bad, and, and they lost that game as well. And that team was probably... At the end of the year, probably comparable to what I expect this team to be, about a nine and four team. That's what I'm looking think, at right I think now. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Now going into that game, they were ranked number three. They were overrated, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, and and they played a bad Washington team, a Washington team that won five games that year that had won yeah. zero the year before. It's a real thing when your quarterback plays that way. But you're right. There, for a lot of people, it doesn't matter. Uh, the margin of error was zero, and because of, probably because of BYU, if we're looking at 2019 in a vacuum, right? It's hard to look at anything in a vacuum right now with USC. But even if you were giving Clay the benefit of the doubt of 2019, well, he lost it with BYU, and that's why I don't care how you. Win, just win in Washington. That was kind of the feeling there. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that they were kind of close and kind of had a chance probably made people even more frustrated. If Washington looked like Clemson, then it'd be different. Then it'd be, okay, well, it's totally understandable and you have your third-string quarterback. Mm -hmm. But because Fink came off this incredible game versus Utah, it colored the way everyone expected him to play moving forward. And then Washington looked more good than great. I think so, too. Yeah, that, even, that's a beatable Washington. Yeah, and I respect Washington. I actually picked them to win the Pac-12 before the season. And it wasn't clear-cut, but that's just who I thought would win it. Mm-hmm. I still think that. But they were beatable. And, and therefore, the fact that USC lost when they were kind of sort of in it only enraged people further. And I'm not here to tell people how to feel. Uh, but I'm glad I like the way you put it in those terms because I do think that if you look at this game in a six-minute increment, then I can defend Clay and I can defend the performance of the team because I thought that, like you said, the running game was good. 
the O-line played maybe, you know, I don't know if it was their best game, but they played well. And the receivers were fine, right? They weren't the problem. I mean, look, they're down 14 nothing at the end of the first quarter. They've run for 20 yards, and more than half of that came on the last play of the first quarter. Yeah. That, that game had blowout written all over it. Right. I, I think you do have to give credit for USC, and really all year, when they get in those early holes, they can get back. Like, this, this team is playing harder. They're playing for Clay Helton more than last year. They I mean, rally. When, when you, yeah, when you look at the difference between last year to this year, if you're looking for any sort of improvement, they're playing hard. They're, yeah. they're playing right. and they're putting it out there. And I think they're better. I, I think you have to go back. This is an entirely new offense. I mean, the, if you, again, if you look at just this year mm. and pull it away from last year and kind of everything in the, in the Clay Helton tenure at USC... There are a ton of issues that they're having to go up against. You you have an entirely new offense. You're playing with your third string quarterback against two of the best teams in the Pac-12. These are not circumstances that a lot of teams succeed in or win with. Yeah. Again, yeah. nobody wants to hear that because it's part of this the the bigger picture. Right. Yeah. It it's tantalizing, I think, for some because Going into the year, I think a lot of us felt like, whether you were objective or not, you felt like this first uh, five, six games was going to be really difficult, mm-hmm. and they very likely would be three and three, maybe four and two, five and one just seemed really generous, sure. and six and zero oh just seemed completely unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And right now, it feels like they're maybe five, three to five plays away from being five and zero. Oh. Sure. And that, that's not crazy talk. That's not fan talk. That's just real talk. Mm-hmm. They, they are that close to being unbeaten or at least 4-1, and one, and they're not. And I think that's why people will ultimately point to Clay, regardless of the quarterback injuries or Hufunga and Griffin, who they matter. But at the end of the day, you feel like, well, we're always going to be hitting this wall or this low ceiling because Clay's the head coach. And in that regard, I can't argue against that. I, I can't because my expectations are always tempered in part because of the head coach. And you look at what other programs that USC compares themselves to nationally. And it's not, oh, we want to be Stanford. Oh, you know, oh, we want to be a top three team in the Pac-12 or, or no. maybe win the South and no. compete for a Pac-12 championship. Championship. No. You want to be Alabama. You want to be Ohio State. You want to be Oklahoma. You, you want to be in the final four. You, you want to be one of those teams. You want the fact that those four I listed, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Alabama, you go into the season thinking, okay, that, that's your final four. I mean, mm-hmm. but you, you don't even need to think about who else might jump up. The fact that USC's not in that discussion no. it is a is a knock against Clay Helton. I, yeah. mean, I mean, this is something where over the course of his, his tenure, he's had... Enough time at USC where I think if you were going to build that perennial Final Four contender, you'd be closer than you are right now. Again, he's he's on his third-string quarterback, and he's going to spend the rest of the season probably with his second-string quarterback. That is not ideal, and I do think you get some of a pass as a head coach for any at any program. You get a little bit of a pass for that, but. At the beginning of the season, you're not being discussed with those programs. And when you're looking at the offensive yards that those teams are putting up, when you look at the defensive performances of the elite teams, 
USC right now is having to grind out wins with a middle-of-the-road ranked offensive and defensive performances. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're throwing out you know, top 10 offensive numbers or top 20, top 25 defensive numbers. Right. It's like there's nothing that this team right now and this program really overall can hang its hat on as we do this at an elite level. Yeah. And I think that's an issue that he has because week to week you don't know what to rely on. Is the running game going to be there? Are you going to be able to throw it all over this team? Can you stop the run to the outside? Or, or is this team going to pass against you? You just don't know. You don't know what's coming out of the tunnel week to week. And I think that kind of is at the very heart of this program, the question and the issue uh, that, that kind of plagues it from week to week and why you get kind of some some uneven performances uh, as the season goes along. I think it was exacerbated this week in particular because there is one unit that you do feel like nationally you can throw up against anybody, and that would be the wide receivers. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you wonder, what is up with the passing game? How can that happen with those wide receivers with – a so-called great coordinator, right? And I feel like I'm becoming a Harold apologist because I actually think he's really good and I think that he's going to become great. He's still very young, but I can see that happening. I see the, the foundation for it. And yet, why did what happened on Saturday happen? And I want to get your take only because this is not something that we've talked about at length, uh, but... My feeling from watching Matt Fink for the last three-plus years is that uh, while I really like the kid, like one of my favorite kids to talk to and would be a great person to be interviewing on a regular basis if, if that's the position that he was in, I think that it was, it was a reward given to him to be the third-string quarterback. I, I, I didn't even think he was the third-best quarterback on campus coming out of training camp or coming out of spring practice. And therefore, that's just not someone that you ever plan to play. And, and they ended up being in that, that predicament where they didn't have another option going into last weekend. But that, to me, is not someone that... I would really judge the team based on how they perform with him calling signals. Uh, I think Matt Fink is one of those guys that ends up being a better Trojan than a football player while he's here. I mean, the the effort, the heart, the determination, you, you love it. And, yeah. and some guys just, he has deficiencies as a quarterback. His ability to just stand in the pocket, make throws into tight windows, make quick decisions, I mean, how many, you know, great college quarterbacks, great NFL quarterbacks are there? There's not a lot. I mean, there are a ton of quarterbacks kind of playing all over the country right now that have deficiencies. Yeah. And you kind of find a way to do it. But if you told any coach in the country, hey, you've got to take your third string quarterback up to Seattle and go play Washington. That's not a position that they want to be. I mean, he, he was the number three guy for a reason. And I thought they found a way to win against Utah and they couldn't find that way to win against Washington. And whether it's if you want to go back to Graham Harrell, 
it feels like it just feels like he never wants to run the ball. Like the the answer is always going to be, well, we can throw our way out of this, and fig- we can figure out a way to throw. Mm-hmm. And I think if I think you run in this offense, and if you're Graham Harrell, you run as sort of certainly a, a second resort. You know, yeah. maybe well, it's not the very last thing you want to do, yeah. but you want to be passing. You yeah. want to be throwing the ball. Yeah. And when it when you're forced to run, you get the feeling that it's almost like him admitting defeat. Mm-hmm. When he has to do it, and, and when you look at the numbers, yeah, they it was a basically a fifty fifty right. split against Washington, but boy, it sure felt like they could have run more earlier at least earlier in the game when you throw. I think it was seven throws on, out of the first ten plays. Yeah, uh, it feels like that. The one thing I will say, and listening to Graham Harrell yesterday on, on after Tuesday's practice, that kind of cemented it for me. I think he feels like any run play could be a pass play. If you're throwing a ball downfield that's incomplete to a guy who's not wide open, it feels like in his mind he's thinking, well, you could have just you could have hit the back. You could have checked it down and that's yeah. his run play. Yeah. Right? So so that's what has to work as sort of a run play in this offense. You get it into Vavai's hands, you get it into Stephen Carr's hands out of the backfield, and that helps us in our running game. I don't know when you have a third-string quarterback, when you have a second-string true freshman quarterback, mm-hmm. you talk about reps and, and needing all that time and all that. This feels like a kind of a long-term play for me. We're going to get these guys in this offense. They're going to figure it out as the year goes along. Yeah. Then they're going to get it eventually. Yeah. Boy, that feels tough to have to turn that around in a matter of a week or even a play. You know, if you're going in in a play, yeah. you know, to get that to where you are so proficient at it that you can beat a defense like Washington that is obviously so proficient at their ability to drop eight and really play the pass. That's a tough spot for Matt Fink to be in. Yeah, so you think the RPOs is almost too much responsibility for these quarterbacks? I think at a certain point, yeah, you're asking them to read a whole lot. And guys can do it. Eventually, you get enough reps where... Uh, it, it becomes second, you know, again, like Graham Harrell was talking about on Tuesday, it becomes second nature. You see where, you know, you it feels almost like he wants to have the quarterback seeing like like you're reading the Matrix. You know, like it's just, <laughs> it's shapes and colors and whatever, and it all makes sense. This guy's here, that guy's there. I know what I'm doing as soon as the ball's coming yeah. out. I think it's interesting, the interception as USC's going in yeah. on the goal line, that's the same interception JT Daniels throws against exactly. Fresno State. If JT Daniels is still the quarterback, does he make that mistake again? The interception he had trying to the first one trying to fit it into Drake London, yeah. that's the same interception Keaton Slovis throws against BYU. Yeah. Is he making that mistake? You know, he they've obviously seen those things. Yeah. I get it if it's, you know, that's Matt Fink seeing those things now yeah. and had he been making that against Fresno State where they still, you know, win yeah. that game. Is he making those mistakes, you know, down the road? I They've been pretty just, unlucky. They've yes. been had a, a new guy three times over. Yes. Making the first mistake yes. each time. Playing difficult, difficult road games, yeah. too. Yeah for, yeah, for Keenan and for Fink. But you've essentially had three different quarterbacks make similar mistakes because they were seeing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, the, the play that you alluded to, from what we understand, or from what they've explained, is that it should have been handed off. Right. It was an RPO, and, it, and Fink should have handed off, J.K. should have handed off. They didn't do that. Keaton hasn't made that one yet. Does that mean that he's going to make it, too, because right. he hasn't yet? I don't know. And what you're talking about, is there too much responsibility or too many things? Yeah. At, at a certain point, maybe you do handcuff the guy a little bit, and it's, you know... Technically, yes, this is an RPO. Look, hand it off. And, and Keaton Slovis, after Tuesday's practice, he said that, right? If it's gray, yeah. you hand it off. If, yeah. if, you're, if you have any hesitation at all about is that wide open, right. you hand it off. Do, ha, have you hammered that in enough well, for Matt Fink to know that? Because it felt like twice that happened. The, the second one, the first one, sorry, was an interception. Yeah. But I think it ends up being a sack on a third and two where, boy, it felt like the running back could have picked up a first down if, yeah. if he had gotten the ball. Now... Counter to that, they ran six plays in a row in in the fourth quarter when they drove back down into you know with, with inside the five, and they were down two scores, and they got uh, they ran six plays in a row, and it was fourth and goal, and they finally threw. But they they ran every play leading up to that. I don't know that if there were any RPOs in that sequence. It's hard for me to remember off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but. They did basically try to run it in. Mm-hmm. They, they tried to avoid even putting Fink in that position, and then they had to throw once. And that, and it, it, that play had no chance of, right. of converting. He threw it in the, out of the back of the corner of the end zone right. to Drake London. Too many targets to Drake. It's it kind of interesting just yeah. to see this many go to him and, and so many have not worked out, both mm-hmm. from Keaton and from Fink. I, that's why I defend Harold because I, I feel like his hands were kind of tied where I feel like he's trying to simplify things and strip him down. There are RPOs. That's not a new concept. Mm-hmm. They were doing that with Darnold, so it's not new to think, right? Oh, I, I think the idea that this offense is trash and he doesn't know what he's doing. No, no. That's, <laughs> sure, that's, sure. That's not it at all. I, yeah. I think there are, there are going to be growing pains with this. Yeah. And again, you're, you're sort of in a situation where if once things get rolling a little bit, you have to re- hit the reset button on a new quarterback all the time. Yeah. That's, that's tough. I, I don't envy where Graham Harrell is and kind of what he's had to deal with at the quarterback spot, which is obviously, I mean, just an incredibly important position in, in yeah. his offense. Yeah, I mean, it determined this game more, more than anyone else could, more than Graham Harrell could. Do you think, and I don't know if the hypotheticals even matter to people right now, but I'm still, I'm still interested, you know. Do you think if Keaton would have played that game, they win that game? I don't know if they win uh, because Washington felt, it felt a little offensively for them. Like, we're going to be fine, you know. Yeah, let's not beat ourselves. A little bit yeah. and, and kind of just, we'll, you know, I, outside of that. I don't know that trick play that right, they right. tried to run that, yeah, yeah. that just blew up spectacularly. Uh, you know, I, it didn't feel like they were really pushing themselves defensively. They probably could have could have done a few more things. So I don't know if they win, but I think maybe at certain points you feel kind of more confident that USC can can really kind of get over that hill and, and get back in it. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a closer game and maybe SC does win because like we said Keaton has seen some of that stuff before and yeah. in this offense where it's so reliant on you know on this play guys could be here 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 if you've seen it before mm-hmm. you can sort of uh, adjust and kind of get ahead of it and know where guys are going to be if that's Matt you know 
Utah played such a different defense compared to what Washington. And you wonder out. why. I mean, I know that they believe in their cornerbacks or their defensive backs, but they didn't really make an adjustment on Fink. Mm-hmm. Fink basically played that whole game, and they 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 allowed Michael Pittman to beat them. Right? And I, you know, Graham Harrell said after Tuesday's practice, he doesn't expect teams that don't typically run that, yeah. you know, rush three, drop eight. Right. Doesn't expect teams to do that against them. I think they're going to. Absolutely. How could you not? I right. mean, at this point, like, yeah. if you've never run it before at all, you're going to run it that whole see, week. You see, hey, USC's coming up in whatever it is, two mm-hmm. weeks, three weeks, yeah. four weeks. Let's go 10 minutes of practice and work on yep. some of this stuff. Let's put it in. Yeah. I just, I couldn't imagine a coach watching <laughs> what they did against what they did to Utah, when Utah really kind of stubbornly stayed in, yeah. in their defense. Yeah, because, in cover two. Because they've got great, you know, defensive linemen and they wanted to rush four the whole time. Yeah. I just can't imagine that a team left on this schedule doesn't at least throw it out there. I mean, you know, first play of the game just to do something. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't imagine they won't see that at I, least a little bit I just think that, coming up. Like, I think everyone's going to do this to you. Why would anybody replicate or, or mimic what Stanford or Utah did? Right. Okay. So, in terms of the run game, they're not going to shift the, the balance to becoming run first, obviously. But do you feel like they just need to run a little bit more, run a little bit earlier. Is that the solution here? Uh, I, I feel like in this game, I was having this conversation right before we recorded, I thought they could have probably set a different tone in that first quarter. However, I would say if they had tried to run maybe 10 more times, I don't think it would have been as effective. Right. And they went along. It feels I like Washington, a ceiling to the run game, right? Yeah. And it's not like they're going to come out. The the Stanford game last year, where it felt like they could have just run and run and run and run. It doesn't feel like this team could ever just run the ball from start to finish and, you know, run for 350 yards against, yeah. against a, you know, a, a Pac-12 team, against someone that kind of competes against them, maybe against Oregon State. You yeah, know, yeah. You can do yeah. that. Yeah. But... I do agree. It feels like you still need to choose your your areas and times where you're going to run. It's hard to watch when Washington has, again, it's a second and 13, I understand, when Washington has five guys that can even shout to the line of scrimmage uh-huh. and, you, and you throw an interception on that play. Yeah. Like that That's tough to watch, and I don't think it's as easy as they only have six in the box. You have to run because they're they're going to do something defensively. I mean, yeah. there's no defensive coordinator that's like, we have nothing for if they run right now. That if they right, run right, right now, they're going to get 20 yards. Yeah. So so I don't think it's just you know they have to run more. I still think the offensive line has been fine, but is not great. Is yeah. not going to dominate a game right. or anything like that. I think it and and again kind of. It's not even so much reading between the lines of what Graham Harrell says. It's you have to be able to pick up yards on pass plays when the throws downfield aren't there. You've, mm-hmm. you've got to get two yards. You've mm-hmm. got to get three yards. And that is – that's part of the running game. Yeah. And then, you know, we're not going to count those as rushing yards. But yeah. I think kind of in their head, that's part of it. That's, yeah. that's picking up a few yards when it could be second and 10 right. or, you know, or when you could take a sack or, or that yeah. sort of thing. So I, I don't think it's as easy as just 
you know, you got to run the ball 50 times a game. Because You're I right. don't know if the offense has that in them, the, yeah. the personnel or, or kind of Graham Harrell as a play caller. I just wasn't surprised by what happened at all. And, and that's why I asked, because I feel like going into it, they should have tailored that game plan quite a bit differently with Fink. And again, maybe they all were kind of a little bit intoxicated by what happened versus Utah. But, you know, think it's still a little game at strength. That Utah game was his first full game. And then he has, what, like a quarter versus Utah the previous season. And just little brief cameos outside of that. So having just watched him in practice a lot, and I'm talking three-plus years and a lot of scrimmages, I could have told you that He's not someone that is going to pick apart a defense. Mm-hmm. He's not a surgeon. He, he's not comfortable standing in the pocket. Mm-hmm. He's very different than, than JT and Keaton. And therefore, I would have been prepared to lean on the run more, I, I guess. And I almost wonder if they did not you know, cement it into his brain that, okay, you need to check down. Like, if they're not giving you anything downfield, then never throw it downfield, mm-hmm. ever. Because he really didn't a lot, but every time he did, it was catastrophic or nearly so, right? I mean, I actually get a count of this. And outside of a couple throws that he made that ended up falling out of bounds, he only had, I believe, seven passes that were 10 yards or greater. So I'm not even talking, like, shots downfield like Utah. I'm just talking, like, moving the sticks, sure. right? So out of the seven, there was the touchdown to Pittman, mm-hmm. right? Very good throw. There was man coverage. They beat it, right? They, they, they picked up on it right away. They got it that mm-hmm. one time, okay? There was a long completion, I believe, on third down to Tyler Vaughn's late in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. right? Which it, it didn't end up mattering, but it was a good throw, good play. Okay, go through the two completions. The other five, the three interceptions, Right? And one of the picks was really a 10 yard throw. Sure. The other two were a little bit further. But the three interceptions, there was a deflection on a third and long that he tried to convert. And then there was a dropped interception that was begging to be returned for six. Mm-hmm. That was it. Mm-hmm. Those were the only throws that he made, right. quote unquote, downfield. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised too. Not, you know, rolling out any. Yeah. Like- Two back sets where there's some play action and then a running back kind of leaking out. You had the one, the quick screen to Amon Ra, um, where I, I think he picks up like a third and six. Yeah, right. He that. ran for it. Uh-huh. But, but not a ton of that sort of stuff. And again, they, the coaches have talked since the beginning of basically spring when there was this quarterback competition going on. We're not going to change the offense for anybody. This is the yeah. offense. They can all run it. I mean, that certainly held true. You know, well, they, yeah, they, J.K. They, and Keaton are, are very similar, though. Right. right? They might have a different sure. temperament or, or, I guess, uh, aggressiveness. Sure. But they, they have similar traits. Mm-hmm. Fink is different. Right. And, and Fink is really quick. Mm-hmm. And you would have liked to have seen him, like you said, rolling out. Yeah. Maybe a couple design runs. I know you're not going to do a lot of that with no backup. But you could probably mix in just a couple, get him, you know, Couple bootlegs and the you know the quarterback draws is that you know you know if those break and they pick up big yards it's one of those things then they're great plays right right you know it just do, do you have the offensive line to sort of do that you know and yeah. so I thought that was I thought it was interesting that he 
he spent almost the entire game in the pocket. You know, yeah. there wasn't a ton of stuff that got him on the edge. Yeah, and, that's and not who he is. The field and, and from what we've seen over the years, and, and, and Graham sees a lot more and knows a lot more than we do. But a part of me wonders, okay, <laughs> just being honest, if maybe having not seen him the previous two plus years and really only seeing him this year, where they're splitting reps four ways and you're kind of thin slicing to an extent. I thought maybe he really didn't know Fink as well as he needed to going into that game. I don't know. It's, I mean, it's an interesting thought. But, but again, we all knew going in, if, you, if Matt Fink has to stand in the pocket and throw against eight guys in a combination of zone and man coverage— Forget about they, it. You know, they weren't going to score 35 points. They, they no. weren't going to score you know, four touchdowns because right. just, that's just not his, it's not his strength. And it's not the wide receiver's strength to, you know, run routes when they're yeah. you know, double, triple covered. When you've got Michael Pittman lined up and he's looking at, he can see three defenders basically straight in a line ahead of him. That That's tough. That's tough to win against. One thing that we haven't seen, and I'm surprised by it, and this is a point that Max Brown made, was that a staple of the air raid is usually to have a running back for a check down. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost an emergency where they, well, they'll release, you know, maybe really late in the play mm-hmm. and, and to ensure that there's something there. And while I think Carr had a few catches versus BYU, uh, we we haven't seen that. We haven't seen the running backs as involved as maybe you would have thought in the passing game. And, and I mean, there obviously haven't been a lot of two-back sets. But even with the one, you can do it. And uh, they played more Marquis Step in this game, but they haven't targeted him at all. They haven't really used him in that way at all. I and mean, he's basically been brought in to run the ball. He's not even there to pass protect. Mm-hmm. I think all but one of his snaps has been you know, in, in, a, in a run situation or an RPO. But he hasn't been called to, to pass protect. But you have the guys to do it. Between, you know, even if he's the third guy, but with Carr and Vivai, I, I do feel like they're kind of selling themselves short in that way. I, I think they need that because here, here's why. The receivers, as much as I like them, as much as we all like them, they're not especially fast, mm-hmm. right? Like, Amon Ra can be quick, right, in short spaces. And after the catch, it can make some things happen. But these are not guys that are guaranteed to get open even if a play extends. Mm-hmm. So you need to have a safety there in terms of a running back, in terms of a receiver. They're not throwing to their tight ends, throw to the running backs, except the running backs aren't really being called upon to do that. Why? I mean, I, I've, they have leaked out. You know, they do that kind of pass, protect, pass, protect, leak out. And I think, again, that's what Graham Harrell is talking about. He's saying, do not... You you should never throw an incompletion, right? You yeah. should never throw an incompletion in this offense. Well, they haven't thrown away as much as I thought they would. Yeah, I, I would be I'd be in favor. Of just throw the ball away. Sure, don't get picked off. Don't sure. force it. I mean, sure. there have been too many picks that have just been forced. Right, that, and I think like, that's throw- what he's saying. If it's if the guy's not wide open, that's not the right guy. Don't <laughs> you should never throw. <laughs> right, it right. And that's- but he's not saying to throw it away. But I think that's where the running backs come into play, right? Then then you take your, you know, you check it down to the running back, see if he can make a corner yeah. or whoever's coming yeah. up to, to fill. 
you make you see if you can make that guy miss, and that's what he's talking about. You get get the ball to guys well, who are one on one in space. He mentioned Pittman as a check right, down, right? Which is odd check down. But well, that was on one specific play. On I, I think yeah. his point is broader than that. Okay. Where look at, at any point, unless they're bringing a blitz and the running back sure. has to stay in to pick somebody up. Yeah. On any given play, somebody's open, and so it's on it's on you as the quarterback. To find that guy, and sometimes that guy is, you know, five yards to your right, mm-hmm. leaking out of the backfield late. Yeah, I think a lot of it too is the quarterbacks. They see the wide receivers, and they know they can make plays. Yeah, and they think that guy is open, maybe. Yeah, you know, and, and they so trust they, him, maybe over. Then they try to fit it in when, in reality, no, that you know, it's this guy here who's at the line of scrimmage and not seventeen yards downfield. Right, that's your better throw on this play. And if Graham Harrell wants to say over and over, it's about reps and it's about seeing that, no, that guy is the right answer, mm-hmm. having to play three quarterbacks right. in the first four games of the season yeah. is not the ideal way to get a guy enough reps to, to be able to see that. No, you're right. I mean, they played five games. Keenan's played a half of it. He's played two and a half. And Fink has played two. And JT's played a half. Mm-hmm. That's the distribution, which going into game six is still very little experience for Keenan Slovis, who mm-hmm. we're presuming will be cleared. Uh, as we record this, he was out there. He was in pads. They were only wearing shells. Uh, I, I don't believe they're, they're really doing any contact. I don't know that he's been cleared for contact. But uh, by next Saturday... Sure, certainly anticipate he's the yeah, guy. Right. Graham Harrell said as much yesterday. Yeah. If he's healthy, he's number two for a reason, yeah. he'll, he would play. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd certainly anticipate him playing against Notre Dame, which Notre Dame, I, I think, easily the toughest game on the schedule. Keaton Slovis is, I don't want to say he's not prepared to go to Notre Dame, but playing at BYU, <laughs> playing, I mean, that, that doesn't yeah. exactly get you ready to go play at Notre Dame. This is another tough Tough challenge. Yeah. I mean, for for Keaton Slovis, this is you get the home game uh, against Stanford, which Stanford turns out not you know not yeah. to be the Stanford you anticipate. But boy, at BYU, the home game against Utah at Notre Dame, it's it's a it's a tough entrance into college football. Yeah, actually, another point that I mean, you have my mind racing with like you know critiques about the scheduling and what they're doing and how off everything is there, but. It doesn't really matter because they're not in the national title picture anyway. Uh, but if they if they were of that caliber, then they would need to rearrange a lot of what they've been doing. Um, so let's talk about Clay Helton then. Uh, what's your sense for what's going to happen next? Because right now we're basically all guessing. Uh, I thought that if he was going to be let go during the season, that it likely would have happened by this Monday or Tuesday at the latest because that's when they return to practice. Now, I really don't know what's going to happen if they were to lose at Notre Dame. I think that I think that Utah win, I think that got him the rest of the season. I think the, the BYU loss, as, as bad as it was, I think beating Utah at home sort of hit the reset button on this year. If you've if you have BYU, Utah, Washington, Notre Dame, all in a row, all losses, then I think it becomes easier to make that decision on not a short week, but a, you know, a regular week between yeah. Notre Dame and homecoming with, with Arizona. Yeah. I think it made the most sense 
before the season started looking at it, if something was going to happen during the season, th- this week made the most sense. Right. It, it was the you have two weeks. It was the most fair to the players where you get the bye week to sort of figure it out. Yeah. And now you're ready for Notre Dame. Uh, I, I feel like making a change like that in a, just a regular week is is I I think it's unfair to the players. I mean I, yeah. I get it. They're yeah. tough and can deal with whatever. And yeah. it's, you know it's not about that. But I, I feel like sort of he's you know put in enough time and the the guys have are playing for him this year. I feel like the again the Utah win gets him the rest of the year. Now if they go get blown out by Notre Dame and they get blown out by Arizona at home I think maybe that changes things there's a lot of ifs but I at this point I would be based on kind of how they're playing getting Keaton Slovis back getting the two defensive backs if if they end up coming back uh, I'd be surprised if anything officially happened during the season mm-hmm. so um, you you think just getting blood at Notre Dame wouldn't do it I, I don't think so you're still uh, again I'm not looking at this in terms of multiple seasons being strung together. This season, if you want to go win the Pac-12, losing to Notre Dame doesn't affect that. So the fact that you have one conference loss right now, again, if if you had lost to Utah, you'd have two conference losses. You'd not have the tiebreaker over Utah. You'd be in a a tough spot in terms of winning the Pac-12. I get it. USC fans don't want to hear about maybe we can eke out a tiebreaker win of the Pac-12 South. Yeah, that's not right. That's not. What they don't the care about the, the scout division. I mean, I don't right. know that they care that much about the conference. But you still have a shot at the Rose Bowl, mm-hmm. uh, even if you lose to Notre Dame. Um, and, and so I just I feel like you you get to play out the rest of the season. I I'm under no illusions that Clay Helton is the head coach of USC in, in 2020. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody sort of has him locked in right. uh, as the head coach there. I could see maybe, you know, toward the end of the season, potentially making it an, uh, and, and again, this is if they don't <laughs> roll Notre Dame and run, right. run off a huge, a huge winning streak to so, end the season. I think the only way he could be the coach in 2020 would be if they were to win out. I think that's I think the so. only way. And, I, and win the Rose Bowl. Right, yeah, win out. I mean, win yes. out, yeah, yes. including that bowl game. Yes. I guess it could be a different New Year's Six Bowl. Right. I'm not exactly sure how that would play out. A couple years ago, sure. they went to the Cotton Bowl. Yes, sure. Uh, but that, I think that's the only way that that even happens. And that's not going to happen. I'm just going to tell you right now that they're not going like, ro- to win the out. Safe, certainly the safe bet. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're not going to do that. So... Therefore, the more I think about it, I don't know why you you wait anymore. And and I'm not trying to fire him. I just feel like realistically, what's the point? I, I think they've reached that point with him where it it why why keep him? I, I just think it's kind of hurting you with recruiting so badly that if they had another poor recruiting class, then it could set the program back even further moving forward. Where I think this team actually is built to win in 2020. Like, if you look at this roster, and they don't lose a lot off this team. Ton of seniors. I mean, if everybody comes back on the offensive and defensive yeah. line, tons of upperclassmen there. Right, where you want them, yeah. Right, and, and a cor- whoever the quarterback ends up yeah. being, you know, has some time in the system. Mm-hmm. The running backs, you know, are all back. Michael Pittman is really... 
really the only substantial sure. you know loss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think it's a it's but, a solid it's a solid roster, a solid starting yeah. you know twenty two if you look at it for next year. You have the nucleus to maybe get into the final four, but you're not gonna have the I don't think you're gonna have the the carryover in the coaching staff. I mean we're already anticipating that it would be rearranged which is unfortunate that they might have the roster that is built to go further and, and yet with a first-year coach, even if it were, oh, I don't know, Irvin Meyer. Uh, even with him, I think that it, it could be a little bit tricky to just get them there right away, although he kind of did it before. I mean, with Ohio State, they were under probation, but they went undefeated the year that he got there. Uh, so maybe he would take this roster to where it could go. Uh, but my real point about Clay is that if they were to get blown out at Notre Dame, then I'm guessing here. I'm guessing they make the move. If they were to get blown out. If they were to put up a great fight, I guess I don't really know what would happen. Uh, I hear a lot of things, like I'm sure you do too, and I, I can't believe half of them. Mm-hmm. But uh, just the feeling I'm getting is that they would be willing to make that move mid-season. Whether you think that's fair or not, that's just the vibe I'm getting. Um, I wasn't expecting it to happen after this Washington game. I thought the the door was open, but I didn't expect it to happen. And even though the Notre Dame game doesn't have any bearing on the, the conference or the division, I feel like even the powers that be, how much do they care about that? The yeah. fan base doesn't. Sure. Right? Sure. But but people are going to show up to that homecoming game if they get blown out at Notre Dame. Right. No, that I mean, that's going to make a statement. You know, you're, you're going to get a boost in attendance because it's homecoming. But, boy, if, if it's a big loss to Notre Dame, the, you're, you're going you're gonna to be playing against Arizona in front of a, a very empty Coliseum, and that's not – those are not the optics that you want. I, I think – the, the idea of the recruiting class is interesting because if you do if you do make sort of a mid-season, in-season move there, the, the options to uh, be able to announce a guy... You have, you have to do that. For, first of all, without an athletic director, what, you know, sure. that, that's a, there's a ton of questions there. Yeah. Um, can, can you make sort of a move at the athletic director, which I think needs to, you know, be expedited at a certain point? Yeah. Uh, does he... In the interview process, does he say, hey, I'm, you know, these are my candidates. This is who I can go get, you know, quickly. But the list of guys that you could announce right now, you know, go go talk to and, and actually kind of lock in. It's it's very short. I mean, uh, the, right. name, the name well, you mentioned. Yeah. Certainly well, we're in the middle the of the season. Everybody's list. Right. Yeah. And, and so then kind of if, it, if it's not one of those guys, it becomes very difficult, like you mentioned with the recruiting class. Yeah. But I will say. It, it makes sense to take your time. And even if the recruiting class suffers, now with the transfer portal, you can almost spend 20 scholarships in the transfer portal. <laughs> I mean, we've seen guys can be at a school for a week and a half right. and leave and, yeah. you know, and, and go somewhere else. Sure. So it makes sense to get it right, right? If they, in, oh, yeah. in 2013 and 2014, if, if they had bombed and, but gotten the right head coach... And they're rolling now. Yeah. Who cares about you know what happened five years ago? Yeah. So I, yeah. I think that's kind of the key is is you really do have to get it right. And I think everybody sort of understands that it's a, a when not if yeah. situation at, at this point. And so it does 
it's it, it's the kind of unknown question yeah. that, that sort of looms over the program right Let me make myself clear then. I, you only do this if you have Urban Meyer lined up. Yes. Right. And I, I was presuming that. Sure. That you have Urban lined up sure. and therefore we're going to move on Clay right. after Notre Dame. And he's the only, for in terms of the way I look at it, he is the only sure thing that, that's out there. And yeah. whether, or not, whether or not it makes sense, I, I think... You know, maybe over unless you're talking pipe dream of you know, D- Dabo, yeah. Clemson, or right, right. Saban, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of available guys, yeah. in terms of guys that you might have a chance to go get eventually, he he's the sure thing. Uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do because you know you you can't avoid talking about kind of the, the baggage that he's piled up uh, at his stop at his previous stops. But again, if, if you want to say if you want to surround him with you know compliance guys, which you know the, the first hire so far yeah. in, in the athletic department has been a, a former compliance guy, uh, and kind of give President Carol Fult kind of the assurances that you're not going to kind of run down that road again and, and step step afoul of, of any kind of laws. Uh, he's the guy that you end up with a phenomenal recruiting class this year. Yeah. And he's the guy that everybody buys into right away. I don't know how many people and certainly how many important people are ready to sign off on him. And does he want, you know, does he want to mm-hmm. come back to coaching? The health issues are real. And yeah. so it's just, it's again, fascinating at, the right answer is sort of so the 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 easy safe answer is so obvious and yeah. there are so many questions still about it there are until they just do it i mean and, and if they do it right and I, I just i feel like that could happen is all i'm trying to say sure. i don't know that this is happening of course it's been rumored mm-hmm. but in three weeks from now if that's what happens they move on clay and then they announce urban meyer then you know, don't be surprised. And I think that the narrative shifts very quickly. Yeah. I think the what what people want to write about is USC is back, and oh my goodness, look at this match and what could happen here. Yeah. I, I think the narrative of yes, I think the narrative of Urban Meyer with baggage and all these issues and whatever. I think that is dwarfed by the amount of attention. That right. No. Holy cow! What yeah. what could USC no, it, build? Yeah, with, people are know, talking about that now. Matchup. Yeah, sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, no, no, no. They're talking about that now, and that's just going to be a, a moot point once he's here and he's winning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's you know, can you keep those things separate? I think USC is one of those schools where you know the the fan base can you know uh, want to love the backstory of a coach and all that sort of stuff, but if if the Grim Reaper is winning 12 games a year at USC and, and you know, they're in the finals every year, I think USC football fans are, are going to find a way to, to reconcile that. That's a new one. I haven't heard him call that <laughs> no, before. No, no, not him. I'm just saying. I'm just saying anybody, sure. anybody who's leading this, sure. this USC football okay, team. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. If they bring anybody in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there there are only a very few kind of you know backstories and personality issues that yeah. USC fans wouldn't be able to reconcile and say yeah. you know he's our coach we're we're all in on this it's yeah. you know it's USC kind of 
knocking Oregon's offense for being, you know, a, a trend when they're going that Chip Kelly kind of yeah. high speed. Now, when they want to go high speed, if somebody, you know, a, an opposing defender is faking an injury, you know, they get upset about that. And fan bases do that all the time. Yeah. It's, you know, if Barry Bonds getting booed by Dodger fans, if he ends up in L.A., all yeah. of a sudden it's it's fine. Um, <laughs> so, I, again, if, if you're winning... Yeah. I think that sort of uh, erases a lot of questions and, and issues. Yeah, I, I would fully expect that they would be. And I think everyone's kind of realizing that at the same time. And, and that's why I think this is very real and it could happen, but uh, it might depend on what happens next Saturday in South Bend. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, part of it is tough to talk about. You know, Clay Helton is doing, he's doing what he can. He's, you know, like the players love him. You know, guys really buy into to what he has to say. So it's it's tough to talk about, like, yeah. he's doing the job. It's tough to talk about somebody replacing him, you know, probably in, in the next little bit, few, yeah. few months, you'd assume. Yeah. Uh, again, it, it's not comfortable because we, we couldn't ask for more from a head coach mm-hmm. that we cover. Yeah. And... I've, I've always hoped for him that he would do well because I know how much he cares. I know how hard he works. Yes. Uh, I just suspect that uh, he's on his night life as a USC head coach. And I think it's just a matter of when they determine to to pull the plug on it. I, don't, I, I feel like the decision has basically been made. Mm-hmm. And outside of them winning out from here on out, it, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Again, a, a sort of when, not if yeah. situation at this point. Right. As we talk about it, Clay almost feels like these quarterbacks in a way, in terms of being a first-time head coach and trying to run a program. And he's making these first-time mistakes a lot because you make them early on. You make them more than one time. And, and he's making them now, and he's in year four but had USC gotten a different version of him, you know, had he been a head coach at a Memphis, right, or Fresno State, and then they got him, and he was on his you know, third coaching job, then maybe things would be much different right now. But I do kind of feel like it's run its course. Yeah, I, I think that you, you know, you learn things when you, he talks about it a lot right now, from successes and from failures, you learn because they're all experiences. And I just think being a head coach of a program, knowing how to build a program is not something that you get by sort of being around, you know, football as an assistant coach. Even if you've been around football for however many years, I think he says 25 years, yeah. uh, around football, around college football, uh, running your own program and figuring out how, you know, to lay a solid foundation, how to put, you know, strong pillars up, all of that sort of stuff. It's, it's tough to do on the fly. And really so much of his stuff has been on the fly. He gets, you know, the, the interim job and then handed the job. I, I, Pete Carroll, when he, before he came to USC, he didn't coach for a year and he was able to sit there and say, look, if I ever get another shot, this is how things are going to go. He was able to really sit and dig in and figure out who he is as a coach, what he wants it to, to be and look like. And when he got to USC, he was able to hit the ground running. I think Clay Elton tried to do a lot of that this past offseason where he comes in and he talks about, 
you know, we're going to uh, talk about competition. We're going to be better at turnovers. We're going to be uh, better discipline penalties. That's a lot. It's a lot to try to change a whole culture in one off season. And, and I think he was sort of up against that uh, when, when you're trying to make so many drastic changes. When you really see at that point, there's not a lot there in terms of a solid foundation to really hang your hat on of what is this program? What do you do really well? And I think that was kind of obvious. And again, I think if if it plays out the way we're talking about and he's somewhere else, I do think that he'll be a head coach again. And yeah. I think he'll be able to use this, this experience. And I think he'll be able to learn from it. And I, I have... No doubt that he'll go somewhere and find some success. I don't know if, you know, I'm not going to say he'll go be Nick Saban, you know, somewhere else. But I think he has qualities that will make him a good head coach if he can really hammer down what does my program look like from the start and build on that and keep kind of everything going in in the same way, the same trajectory uh, once he lands somewhere. Yeah, I like the things that he's done in the last half year, mm-hmm. or I guess maybe nine months, I look at Harold, why didn't you do that at the beginning? Right? Like It was why? tough. And, and I think a lot of it is what he knew of USC, right? He coached under Lane Kiffin and he coached under Steve Sarkeesian. I don't think any USC fan would put those two up as the pillar of this is USC football. This is what it's all about. Right. And it's tough when that's all you know of, of USC football really are those two head coaches. It's it's not, you know, the, the best situation for, I mean, it's those two plus it's, you know, coaching during the sanction years and all that stuff. He, he kind of got a weird introduction yeah. to what USC football is, what yeah. has made it great, what we need to do. Right. And I think he gave certainly some lip service. We want to be tough. We want to run the ball. We want to do all that. It always felt like he wanted to run air raid. He wanted to throw the ball. And I think it's a a detriment that he didn't do it earlier, that he didn't say, this is what I want to be. This is what I want the program to look like, not this is what the program has sort of spoken to or been in the past. So let me talk about that a little bit. He'd never really been in that position as a coordinator. And, And that's why people found fault with the hire. Because we didn't know who he was as a coordinator. He didn't have an identity per se, especially not working under Kiffin and Stark. But I can't help but think, why didn't you go hire a coordinator then when you got the head coaching job? I mean, he did hire a defensive coordinator Mm -hmm. that I believe he could have upgraded maybe a couple years in. But initially, that's a fine hire. But to promote T. Martin, I just think that that kind of... That kind of buried Clay. I think I just set him off on the wrong foot. I mean, that's arguably your most important hire that you're going to make when you become the head coach. And you go, look, I mean, again, you're not, you're not even ex- outside of maybe we talked about Urban Meyer. It, it's probably not a guarantee that the next guy is going to be Pete Carroll, what he did at USC. But you go back and you look at what he did. That staff he put together right out of the gate at USC where he said, look, yeah. I can handle defense. I need a guy that I can sort of get along with defensively, but I need to go get an offensive guy. And to go out and get kind of the, the best out there, yeah. to go get you know position coaches where familiar with them, unfamiliar with them, you were going out and legitimately getting the best guy at every spot that you thought that you could get. Yeah. 
I, I think that is one of those things where it it never felt like Clay just hit home runs on any of the the positional hires. Right. You talk about what's going on this year. I think these guys have been really good. Greg Burns yeah. with the defensive backs. I think Graham Harrell, like we said, without the one hand tied behind your back, playing without the quarterback that you thought was the best for your offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coach K uh, on the defensive line. I, Boy, you hit some doubles, right? I mean, maybe not home runs, but you hit some yeah. doubles. Yeah, a lot of positives uh, with those guys. Right. I, I think Harrell could be even more than that for sure. It's still very early. But he didn't do that the first time around. And that's why everyone is viewing this game. They really don't even care about this Washington game. They look at it as just another indication of he's not good enough mm-hmm. and we're not good enough. And in that respect, I, I understand. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It, it's exhausting to try to defend, even though I think in a vacuum this game could be viewed differently and judged differently. But... It, it it does fit in with a lot of things that happened prior to it. And yeah, again, you you know, it's one of those things. It doesn't. It sometimes it just doesn't matter who's create. You know, who's who's giving up the turnovers. How the penalties come. Look, that is that's one of the softest celebration spike penalties I've ever <laughs> seen. That's one of the softest. You know, telling Ovaria coming. You yeah. know, coming out onto the field. Right. I guess. Right. Like. But it doesn't. The circumstances, the extenuating circumstances, no longer matter to a lot of people. It's bottom line. Look, you got flagged eight times in a game. That's not okay. You uh, turn the ball over three times. You're at I, like minus more than a turnover per game uh, at this point. Yeah. When you specifically said that's going to get fixed, and and that's one of the things for this year. So again. Circumstances have kind of gone out the window. The, you know, it's yeah. it's a prove it season, uh, and he's not proving it. And, and so far, you've had a couple chances on the road, and it's you know not totally fallen flat. Like right. I said, I think there's positives to take out of those games, but it, it's not a step ahead of where people thought they were going to be. I, I think three and two after five games was kind of. Uh, you know, not a, not a bare minimum, but yeah, sure. That that's not exceeding anybody's. Yeah. You know, Nobody's happy about it. Season, right? Even though they probably expected it. Right. Or understand it. Right. Because you're not going to be happy, and it's because of all of it. The entire it's now really four years. Sure. We became the interim coach first week of October. Mm-hmm. We're, we're pretty much approaching the four year anniversary of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's finish up with this season. Because I do feel like this team, although I think it's improved, I can tell that it's a better team than it was 12 months ago. It might be at a bit of a crossroads, given that they have another really hard road game ahead of them. And they are aware of the fact that they could be losing their head coach. So you don't know what will happen with Clay. What do you think will happen with the team? Uh, you know, I think that not not getting into, you know, they'll win this game, they'll lose this game, yeah, that sort of thing fine. on the way out, um, which we could get into a little bit. But I think I think they've kind of proven that they're going to that they're going to play hard and that they're talented. I, I don't think they want another tailspin like last year. And I think they're going to show up now. You look at the schedule and everybody had it 
had the first six games marked as these sort of death trap games and oh my gosh you know is it one and five is it two and four well you look at the second half of the schedule now and, and if you want to lump Notre Dame into that second half now I know it, it kind yeah. of unbalances the six and six but uh, that you know that game is tough Arizona, depending on where you know where Khalil Tate is, um, no matter what, Arizona should be a team that you beat at home. Yeah. But boy, road trips to Cal, to Colorado, to Arizona State. Two, way, two of them come back to back. Cal and ASU. The way they've played on the road, certainly one of those is a loss. I mean, with, with kind of the, what you've seen from Arizona State, with what you've seen from Cal, Colorado, you know, always sort of has a, a puncher's chance at home. Um, I just don't think that you can have a, a lot of confidence that they win all of those games. Uh, Oregon, with kind of what their offensive line has become and the guys they have uh, on that team that are going to be coming back home to Southern California, that, that's going to be a motivated group, I think, coming into the Coliseum. So, you know, when you when you lump Notre Dame in, you, you kind of see three more losses at, at a minimum, I think, uh, <laughs> at, at this point when you talk about the rest of it. Now, I think that they can play well, and I think that they can win those games. But if you're talking about kind of coin flip with that sort of stuff, you're going you're gonna to win some of those and you're going to lose some of those. So, yeah, I, I just, you know, like you mentioned, the idea of kind of running the table and, and that sort of thing. But, <laughs> I, you know, at, at this point, I'd sort of be comfortable with a, with a five-loss season. And that's not, not comfortable with it, but, sort of, yeah. you know, in, in terms of guessing at it. Yeah. Um, and that's not even sort of taking into account, you know, maybe, maybe you stub your toe against somebody else. I mean, maybe UCLA at this point has just decided to kind of throw in the towel in the season and they're just practicing for, for USC like it seemed like last year. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I called that an automatic win last year around this time and I couldn't have been more wrong, obviously. Sure. Yeah, so so I, I feel like I feel like they're going to play hard. I feel like you're not going to get last year, you know, the, for, for me last year, the second half of the Cal game kind of yeah. summed up what the second half of the season was. It, it was just... And you feel confu- right? Yes, sure, that too. But yeah. it was just kind of confusion offensively. It was like you know, it, it's just get it together and you beat this team. You know, right. make, make yeah. a, somebody make a play. Yeah. And I don't think you're gonna get that. Um, I think the court, you know, Keaton Slovis. If you can keep him healthy the rest of the season, I think he does get better and better. Uh, I think that you've seen improvements from the offensive line. I just think the the gap between Notre Dame sort of putting their plan in place however many months or, or years ago to where they are right now, I think you get an idea next weekend how far ahead they are. I, I think, again, I, I think USC goes in and, and plays hard. I just don't see, I don't see them beating, you know, Notre Dame this year. And then I think there's a there's a couple tough Pac-12 games coming up. Yeah, so you think a Notre Dame game is unwinnable? Uh, no, I think that at a certain point, right, you're gonna get a, a couple turnovers. Something's gonna bounce your way. Yeah. You know, you're you're gonna get a break. Um, so I, I think there's a chance that they can do that. That being said, you've done as USC, you've done what you've done with turnovers the first half of the season. Notre Dame, by the way, number one in the nation in turnover margin this year. So it's not like it's not like you expect that, but you know, yeah. college football sometimes has a way of, yeah. of being a little crazy. 
Uh, and if a team is going to go in and beat Notre Dame like that outside of the you know the big time you know, Georgia and, and those kind of teams that they play, yeah. USC always has a shot. You know, to, just like Notre Dame always has a shot coming out to LA. Yeah, I think USC always has a shot going to Notre Dame because. They've shown if they get quarterback play, they've yeah. got they've got guys that can go, and and I think that USC defensive front has shown enough uh, to where you don't feel like you're just going to get run over by anybody. Which happened a couple years ago. Even yes. though USC was an 11 win team, I thought they were going to get blasted in that game, and they did. It was mm-hmm. almost weird how and predictable it, that it game felt ended a little up being. like the moment was too big for him. Like, yeah. you know, like Notre Dame Stadium kind of did something. And yeah. they, you know, they weren't ready for, yeah. for that game. Which we have no idea if, if that will be the case again. Sure. I'm not going to make any prediction on, on that end because even just going to BYU made them uncomfortable. Right. And I know that had to do with altitude, but it, it wasn't loud there. No. And yet they, you know, they... They have the uh, the technical penalties, you know, the false starts and things of that nature, which are just weird to to have repeatedly on the road. Like they just don't function. I mean, until they prove it, you can't assume they're going to all of a sudden go put an A plus game together at Notre Dame. I mean, it's not something. It's not something that you've seen. Why would you bet on? You know, okay, it's you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen this week. Now all of a sudden, it's going to happen. So. It it could, yeah. but certainly it doesn't. It's it's not screaming, you know. Oh yeah, this is coming. This right. is going to happen. I believe in their talent more now than I did a year ago. Yes, that, that's the big difference for me. Yes, if, and even though they lost a lot of veterans from that defense from last year, I didn't really believe in the even a good version of of that defense that, that it would move the needle. And I feel like now you're going to get a lot of fluctuation from people like Drake Jackson and EA and Talanoa Hufunga. But, but they're capable of playing at a higher level than your best defensive lineman or linebacker or defensive back last year. Yeah, that, that was the point. Elijah Griffin. You're getting more guys playing at a higher level this year than you were last year. I think kind of the you know, potential peak performance yeah. offensively and defensively this year is more than it was last year. And if that scheme or if that's guys maturing or a combination yeah. of all of that, just, you know, like you mentioned a, a true freshman kind of putting it, I mean, what we saw from Max Williams, you yeah. know, the, this past weekend, I, I think there's, I think there's talent there. I think they have better players. Uh, yeah. Until it all comes together in sort of a cohesive offense, defense, special teams. Ha! Uh, special teams. A, a situation where you're getting solid performances and you're yeah. not getting the mistakes of a, a delay a game penalty with something coming in late from the sideline or a, a procedure penalty on the first play of the second half where you have so much time to prepare. Right. And those are the things that, that kind of crop up. And that's why it's tough to, to assume you're going to see a flawless performance from this team when they have, they have the talent to go, to go beat Notre Dame. If yeah. things are clicking, if, yeah. if they're playing well, they have the talent you know, to, to beat anybody. I don't think that it's the idea that USC has this you know, runaway freight train of the most talented team hands down in the Pac-12. I don't think it's that easy. I, I think there's other I programs that have a ton of talent. Yeah. The way Washington's recruited, the way Oregon's recruited, the way Utah develops their big guys. Yeah. I think other programs have more 
and more substantial talent at important positions. Right. I think USC can go deeper yeah. at some of the fringe spots. You know what? If if you want to sure. list well, the skill best sixth receiver, yeah, that's fine. Right. I'm, I'm going to take. But who is a better a, offensive line? Right. I'm going to take a better starting left guard than your better yeah. you know, fifth wide receiver. Yeah. And, and I'm going to be Good more point. comfortable with that. Yeah. When was the last time we thought that they had the best up until like 2011? Right. And, and so I think that's kind of where this this talent conversation sort of runs off the rails for me. Yeah. But at the same time, they have enough talent. They oh, have, they have enough, enough talent to win. Yes. If it comes together, they can win. Yeah. The problem is those few words, if it comes together, you've been saying that for, yeah. again, it's not the 60-minute increments, although it is in there. It's the bigger picture. Yeah. It's been games and months and, and years of just waiting for you know, that game against the team where it means something where, boy, that looks buttoned up and everything's kind of smoothed out and ironed out and things are things are clicking on in all three phases. Well, you made a semi-prediction, so I'm going to offer one as well, to be fair. And uh, I, too, believe that they will likely lose three more games. Notre Dame, Oregon, and I'm thinking one of those back-to-back November row games between Cal and ASU, I don't know which one, doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But to echo you, I do believe that they could win all these games, uh, meaning e- each one. Right. They're not going to win out. Right, right. They're just, I will say that. But uh, they will be in position or have the, the capacity to win each game, which I got to a certain point last year where like, I, I never thought they could beat Utah by the time that they played them in, I think, late October last mm-hmm. year. I thought they would get rolled, and they did, even though they were at 14 nothing. They were a weird team last year, too. But you knew that they weren't very good. This team, I think, actually has very good somewhere lurking in there, and it needs to be uncovered. And I guess it, we'll just find out if the staff can unlock it. And there, I mean, it has to, you know, again, people don't want to give Clay Helton the benefit of the doubt. They're doing this with a backup quarterback. They've played two games with you, their number three quarterback. Do you view Keaton as a backup? I, I guess I don't. I mean, right now? Yeah, I, in general. Any, I think I, anybody who was not your number one option to start the season. Yeah, yeah. He's again. It's like what Greg Burns said about like Trevor Lawrence became the backup. Like he was the backup quarterback that took over. And well, so due to injury is a, is I think a different thing. If J T. Daniels had played his way out of the starting spot uh-huh. and then Keaton, you know, rises up into yeah. that, then no, he's your starter. Yeah. But you know, again, Greg Burns kind of talked about his inexperienced secondary. Hey, once you play a little bit, you're, you're not inexperienced anymore. So right. so yeah, at a certain point, Keaton Slovis. Uh, he's your starter your and, and he's your guy. He might, he might be their quarterback for the next three years. Sure. But I still think of the whole roster, he's not the guy the coaches picked to start. If, if you would talk to them at the beginning of the year and said, mm-hmm. who's your quarterback for every game? Yeah. It's JT Daniels. JT. And there's a lot of programs that wouldn't be, like we talked about, having a, a puncher's chance to go to Notre Dame. Uh, to be, you know, potentially in the rest of their games. Yeah. If they had to go with the guy who, at the beginning of the year, they didn't think was their starting quarterback. So again, we talk. There's talent. They can play. You know, yeah. You, yeah. you expect it out of them, and it's tough for Clay Hilton to have to go through this season 
at a position that's so important for him, for the program, for this offense, uh, without his his number one guy, regardless of, you know, JT Daniels is going to have his detractors too based on last year. But I think last year was one of those things you kind of take your punches and, and figure all that out for this year mm-hmm. to get, you know, to, to have that experience and to be able to play this year. Um, so, again, I, I think it kind of speaks to that there is – there is some talent here, and that's, again, what's frustrating for a lot of people about can you put it together? Because there's a lot of things that just, you, you know, yeah. it's, like, it's like they're running with their shoe untied where you just trip on <laughs> that shoelace, yeah, yeah. you know, every so often. It's yeah. like, get all your stuff together and then get going, and, and you'd be a lot better off. Yeah. I, I asked about the, the quarterback thing, the semantics of it, because I, I wonder if other people view it that way. Maybe they do. I kind of moved on from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel like Graham was picking JT in August, but not necessarily for the entire fall. Just a vibe I got. Sure. Uh, now, it would have required injury like it happened or him struggling. Mm-hmm. But uh, from the way he played in that first game or that first half, I felt like there was the window would, would have been open for, for Keaton to, you know, it would have probably kicked in like a two interception game and, you know, just a lackluster performance. I, I don't know. It's it kind of a, a and that's total one. That's fine. And Keaton's yeah. your guy now. Yeah. Not getting those games, not getting the full Utah game, right. not getting yeah. the experience on the road at Washington. Like, are you hit? You know, are you hitting the reset button again? Is this basically like a fourth quarterback now? Start, you know, if he comes back, and <laughs> right? Says, right? Because that, did you are, pick up where you left off? When or? you talk about those reps, yeah. you know, like yeah. that, that's two full games that he's missing. So now we're at the sixth game of the season. Is he at the third game of the season, or yeah. you know, starting the second game Good point. of the season? I mean, that that's yeah. again, you're just you're you're hamstrung when when you can't rely on a quarterback to be there all the time and, and take all the snaps. It's a tough, it's a really tough situation to be in, especially for a true freshman. And that, you know, going yeah. to Notre Dame is not going to BYU. It's it's not no. going to even Washington. You're absolutely and right. That's a different thing for a USC quarterback, true freshman USC quarterback, to yeah. go to Notre Dame. You wish you had homecoming, Arizona, right. and then go to Notre Dame maybe. Yes. But yeah. that's not the way yeah. the schedule get, falls. Get wet a little bit again and then get back into it. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, they they haven't caught a break in that way no. at quarterback. No, and and we're assuming that he finishes the year, but if he doesn't, then all bets are off. Yeah, I mean Notre Dame, right? Notre Dame, they're going to be coming after him and early and hard. I think and can this offensive line, which again we talked about, they have the talent to do it, but would you bet on a complete game against Notre Dame? The offensive line has the talent to protect, but at this point, they've gotten two quarterbacks, I mean, buried yeah. and hurt. Yeah. You know, Notre Dame, they know that. They've got the defensive front to really apply pressure. That's going to be absolutely something to watch. How many how many hits does he take early in the game? Uh, can, you know, can they rattle him, uh, either mentally or physically? That Those are all going to be kind yeah. of big, I think, talking points going into Notre Dame and, and maybe after. Yeah, I mean, that probably was Utah's plan, and that might be why Utah did not really adjust the way that you would think they would have mm-hmm. in the defensive backfield because mm-hmm. maybe they were thinking they'll knock out another quarterback. Sure. Uh, I mean, it at just this point, didn't happen. At but... this point, if you're playing against USC, you certainly 
believe that you can get to the quarterback and yeah. you believe that mm-hmm. uh, that you can shake them a little bit if, if you do. Yeah. There's still a lot to prove with this team. And we talk about it. You can kind of – you close one hole and another one pops open. But uh, they they are better than they were in 2018. I, I guess most people probably don't even care about that. They just want a new coach. And I understand. It's, uh, I, I think the biggest thing is if you look at last year as kind of your – you know, your rebuilding year. Yeah. That's fine. But now you need to start this season ahead of ahead of schedule, right? It feels like it feels like maybe to Clay Helton to the team like last year didn't happen and you can have sort of a, a blank slate this year. Which I understand a new coordinator, a now playing a true freshman quarterback, a, a lot of stuff to sort of figure out. That would make a lot of sense, but Boy, that five and seven is just, I mean, it's towing you down so yeah. hard. It, it is pulling you back to where you needed a huge improvement from that. And just a, a slight uptick is not going to be enough, I think, to satisfy fans who said, okay, we dealt with all that last year. Yeah. Give us something to really believe in this year. And, and I think the things they've shown, again, we can latch on to them and, and there are positives to take. But some of those big picture things still just they haven't been cleaned up enough uh, from season to season where they don't people don't want to hear about from game to game or inside of a game yeah. or, or those sorts of things. It, it needs to be built on kind of over the course of the season and in year four uh, of, of a tenure. Let's yeah. be here, you know, in, yeah. instead of instead of kind of building from scratch at the start of a year. Clay, ironically, is a victim of his own success. Yeah. And the guy that he's often compared to in terms of situation would be Dabo in Clem- at Clemson, who came in the middle of a season and he did okay. And then Dabo actually won nine games in year one. I'm looking at it right now. And then he went six and seven. He did have his losing season in year two, which I'm sure that it was a little bit warm. Uh, I wasn't following Clemson in 2000. 10, but I'm sure that there were people that were very skeptical and, and unhappy. But since then, since his uh, third year, he's won at least 10 games every year. Right. And he didn't get to the final four until year seven, but he won 10 games every year from year three on. Mm-hmm. And uh, the expectations were obviously very different mm-hmm. for Clemson as a whole than they are here. You know, I, I, I still think that. We're close enough to the Pete Carroll era, even though that, I mean, now a decade out, but we're still close enough that everybody remembers it. And you know what it can be. And yeah, you know what it can be, and you believe that's what it should be, mm-hmm. uh, even though I think that will prove to be a, a historical outlier in terms of seven years in a row in the top four. Right. But this program, I would agree that this program should be contending for a national title let's say every third year mm-hmm. should be in the final four every third year. I mean, certainly with the way the Pac-12 is right now, where again, if Washington is the best program in the Pac-12 and we got to look at them and it was okay. Yeah, you know, you're, yeah you're they were good. They weren't great. USC certainly now should be where Clemson is in, in the ACC. I, I don't mean that USC, it's their birthright to be in the final four every single year. Sure. But... They certainly, to what Clemson is doing to the ACC right yeah. now, 
USC with what the Pac-12 looks like right now yep. should be there. It, it's not, you know, if, if Washington's number five in the country and Utah's number seven and Oregon is number 12, then yeah, that's tougher. Yeah. But right now when your your best team is, you know, kind of hanging on. Yeah, they're, they're a the top, top 15 top, team. Yeah, yeah. That's something where, okay, there, there's a void to be filled and yeah. USC absolutely should do it. And again, if Clay Helton's first season was five and seven, then he wins eight games. Yeah. Then he wins the Pac-12 championship. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a whole lot different. So again, if you know if Sam Darnold kind of got him his success early, it, he, he's not doing him any favors now. Where <laughs> when you talk about you know we've got to build a program, it's like well what what were the two years you know the, the Rose Bowl win and yeah. the, the Pac-12 title. Uh, when you start off like that, it's tough to sell. Okay, now we need to build a program. When it seems like at the beginning, certainly the record indicated you're you're already there. Maintain that. Yeah, and that just hasn't happened. I, I almost felt like this year would have been the year that we would have really learned who the real Clay Hilton was. Where I feel like the Darnold ones were were complicated because Darnold was so good. And and then last year, with a true freshman quarterback, uh, that you kind of you compromised. You know, you you, you denied taking a transfer in Shea Patterson. You had two other quarterbacks that you didn't like that were in the program. You have this other kid reclassify, right? It, it, was, just, it was a weird year, and that was probably the floor. I I I can't imagine him going five and seven again. With Clay Helton, even. Yeah. Uh, it, it happens maybe every 20 years at USC, right? That's literally when it last happened. Okay. But this year was, I guess, the year where I thought, okay, you have a legitimate offensive coordinator. Uh, you kept Old Faithful, a defensive coordinator, who, like I said, he's good. The defense he, has done enough to they, win all five games, I think. Yeah, I, and, and they haven't been outstanding, but they've done enough. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I think you could get. You know, in terms of in terms of the sheer number of turnovers and sacks and that kind of thing, yeah, yeah. you could get more. But just certainly, there aren't fingers pointing at the defense. You lost us that game. You're, you're not, no, no, not good. The idea of BYU, holding, they were okay. Oh yeah, right. Um, but again, outside of the the turnovers early, maybe BYU doesn't score those ten points. Sure. I mean, you're, you're not telling them how did you not hold Washington to thirteen points? Right. You know that right, right. that's yeah you could have, but no, no, that's not sure. a, that's not a failure of the of the defense. Right. I think. Right. So I I actually thought this would be the year, and maybe it will be. They've only played five games. I believe in Harrell, I believe in Keaton, and if you have those two intact, I do think that you're going to see a good team. Uh, so I'm actually willing to discard the Washington game moving forward. And I'm only looking at 2019, and most people are not. They're, they're, just, right. they're already looking at 2020 and sure. Urban Meyer, and I get it all. But for the purposes of this conversation, I think that this team uh, should be very interesting and, and very good moving forward. And I'd like to believe that they can go to South Bend and give them a game. And I think if they have Keaton and Hufunga and Griffin, like I imagine that they will, then I don't believe they'll get blown out. Mm-hmm. I guess that's as far as I'm going to predict. <laughs> right. No, I think, I think they're going to be, again, if Keaton is doing everything that they think he can do and he's operating within Graham Harrell's offense, which the quarterbacks have gone outside of that offense, you can tell... When Graham Harrell talks about mistakes, 
he he doesn't really sugarcoat things. You can tell he's saying no, that was wrong. Like that that's not what I am coaching them to do. They they made a wrong read. They didn't hand the ball off. I mean he he sort yeah. of says what he's they didn't check down right. If he's operating within that offense and, and he's making the right reads, this they they've got a chance against anybody. I mean they they can be a fun team to watch, and, and I think they have enough talent to make plays. You you have to do the things that. Clay Helton said he was going to do early. You can't have the the penalties fair or not called against you, called against the other team, whatever. Yeah. You you can't have things called against you that are uh, avoidable. I mean, uh, Clay Helton mentioned after practice today on Wednesday, you know, they've limited the holding and the, you know, kind of the in-play penalties. That's what makes kind of the false starts and the delay games and the timeouts when you don't need to use them. That, that's what makes those more frustrating because those are the thing, you know, if, if a hand slips you can prevent up, those. if a hand slips up into a face mask in yeah. the middle of play, right. I'm not going to crush it. Yeah, being guys. aggressive, you, know, it, you can live with that. Right. But, but when you're not getting a play called on time, when a guy's just kind of loses focus, you and know, those sorts of things, those are the things that, that kind of need to get fixed. And those are the things yeah. that sort of, crop up week after week and those are the things where you can't guarantee that they're not going to hold you back in a road game at Notre Dame so right. until those are fixed again it's tough to buy in hey sure. we're going to see you know we're going to see a flawless game but yeah. don't put money down okay don't put money down <laughs> until they prove that they can play with composure and discipline on the road like you said getting keep back I, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what the what the offense can do against Notre Dame yeah It'd be pretty cool if they uh, they pulled it off. And I'm not going to guarantee that they can't. I mean, yeah. nothing nothing says that they're going to go in and beat Notre Dame. No. <laughs> but again, it just it they they do have this feeling this year of yeah, if things if things click, they they have the ability to beat anybody else left on their schedule. The feeling's a lot higher than it was a year ago. Yeah, and that's, that's all that we've learned through five. But there's still a lot more to learn. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to do this again. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll see what we learn. <laughs> all right, you can check out all of Eric's work at wearesc.com. And uh, be sure to catch up with me. I am at Sports Illustrated. And the new URL is sci.com slash college slash USC. This was another edition of the Troy Stories podcast. And I am out. <laughs> <laughs>